Heavenly Father, we are grateful that on this late January Sunday we can gather together as your people and just be renewed by your word. It is so comforting to know that you have come, Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth. And as we look at this good news today, that you would equip us to be contagious with that good news for the remainder of our days. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. This summer, as my brother and I were cleaning out my mom's house to prepare it to sell in South Georgia, we came in our garage upon my dad's workbench. Now, this was a workbench that he purchased as a young man, and it was a workbench. It was all wood, purchased in the late 30s, had a vice attached to it. You could do anything on this workbench. It was phenomenal. And as I opened it up, they had those wood drawers that were deep and wide. I pulled it open, and it was full of tools that hadn't been touched since 1984. I mean, tools that were from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. It was really quite the treasure chest, at least we thought. A Mexican guy bought the whole thing for 200 bucks. Good for him. I'm glad somebody's using it, you know. Um, but it was, it was just, it, me and my brother were talking about the memories of our father down in our basement over this workbench doing little projects with him. He wasn't good with his hands at all, but he had an awesome workbench. He was one of those guys, you know. And he just said, you know, having the right tool for the task is crucial. You don't use a wrench to pound a nail. You don't use a framing hammer for a little nail that you're doing on a model, Gene. And it's funny, because Dad would often say, I don't have the right tool. Let's call somebody to do the work, you know? It was, that was kind of the way we grew up. Well, my friends, we're in this series during Epiphany entitled Contagious Christianity. With the whole goal of equipping all of us to do the work of being salt and light in our community. And we're at that place in the series where now I'm going to start to give you tools for your tool belt, your spiritual tool belt. And each and every week over the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about how we can minister to different people in different times so that as we lean in with the good news, God willing, they'll lean in. And we won't be that guy who just is a, just using a framing hammer on, on a hard heart that just is offensive. Because I know if you're like me in any ways, and sometimes in your life, you've had the chance to speak into somebody about the good news of the gospel and you failed, you, you chickened out. Or you tried and you bumbled it. You just didn't do it well and you felt like a fool. Or maybe you did share, but you came across too harsh. Well, today we're going to learn a tool which is tried and true which as you lean in with it, I have found people lean in a little and it furthers conversations, not ceases conversations. And we're going to talk about using the tool with the belief that it's the Holy Spirit that does the converting, not us. And that is using the Bible itself. Last week on the first lesson, we used uh, Hebrews 4 where the author of the Hebrews says that the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. So I want you to remember this sound. 
me do it again. Right? That's the sound of the sword of the Spirit of the Word of God piercing a hard heart. Because the Lord uses this, His Word, so our non-Christian friends can read the Bible with this and they bleed to death with faith in Jesus Christ. That's the goal today. Because we've used all kinds of tools, right? You know, if you grew up from my era earlier, you know, everybody knew about tracks. You might carry a track in your pocket, and those tracks were awful. You know, you'd give them to a friend, they'd read it, and they'd come to faith in Christ. I didn't have anybody who ever came to faith in Christ through a track. They're awful. Don't use them, all right? It's one-way evangelism, and it's just, it doesn't work generally. And there's some good tracks out there that are topical, but for the most part, they're just one-dimensional. It's just you telling them without even talking to them. The second one, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, is, is a monologue evangelism. That's where we tell others the good news of Christ. And there's a place for that. I mean, we see that in the Scripture. We should be able to do that. But the reality is, in a culture where less and less people are willing to listen, so we'll talk about this kind of people that we can talk to when we get there. But today we're talking about dialogue evangelism and sharing the word one-to-one. And it works very well. It's a tool that creates an appropriate forum so that people can ask questions of the text. It's, it has a forum that allows for multiple appointments for conversations if the person wants to go there. And most importantly, it addresses the three primary needs of a non-believer. Number one, it's, it's got brevity. It only takes a half hour. Two, it keeps things private. Discussions are confidential just between you and the other person. It also respects their intellect. Let's them process. So if you turn in the back of your bulletins to page 23 and 24... We're going to discuss how we can take the questions that we were talking about last week and transition into them reading the Bible with us. On page 23, you see the sermon text. I went ahead and read 1 through 18. And then on page 24 is a conversation. You know, you're coming off a conversation with someone. Most people in the Cleveland area, believe it or not, are mostly are from a Roman Catholic background or a UCC background or a Methodist background or a Lutheran background. Those are the big ones in the Cleveland area, all right? And so when you discuss with somebody what your background is and all of a sudden you could say something like this, this is a little script for you, so tear it out, put it on your fridge if you want to use it. Say, you know, the important thing is not necessarily the denomination we've gone to, but the important thing is that the church is doing its job. Meaning, it tells us the purpose for our lives, the freedom that we have in Christ, not the license to do whatever we want. And three, the assurance and the hope that I have, that I live in the assurance, which gives me great hope that one day when I die, I'll be in the Lord's presence forever. Has that been your experience? what they say and then you can ask the question we talked about last week to you who is jesus what do you think about him and listen again it's 
it's interesting what people believe does next. And it's often that they don't necessarily have it right, or they have it doctrinally down, but you can say, do you believe that, if they get it right? Because oftentimes, I've had people on the golf course, they get it right, and they say, do you believe that? <laughs> I don't believe that. Oh, really? Why? And you find out their story. The point is, just keep furthering the conversation. And so you can say, well, like I said last week, the first 18 verses of John's biography have some incredibly compelling things. And, you know, I think uh, I'll buy you a beverage of your choice if you'd like to sit down and discuss it. I think the, what you're going to find is that there's something very surprising. What do you think? That's what they said. I've had people say, let me think about it. To which I respond, well, don't think about it too long because you'll never get around to it. Also, some people will say, yeah, that's something I'd be interested in. And so at that point, and we have some samples around us here today. Uh, in the back there, I got several copies of the word one-to-one. -one. It's called Sharing the Word One-to-One. -one. Now, you might be thinking, Gene, this is great. You're a minister. You've been doing this. You're good at it. Not very good at it. But... But this is the point, you know, you're good at it, I, I can't do this. Oh, I would remind us all, my friends, the minister's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And there are people out there that only you can reach. And so, Richard Borgonin brought this together 10 years ago, off a conversation that he had with a friend and the noted Irish apologist John Lennox. John Lennox is one of the brightest apologists and winsome apologists of our day. He's got four degrees, doctoral degrees. He's a brilliant man, but you wouldn't know it just talking to him. He's just a real gentle soul. And so Richard Borgonin, who's a Herods of London insurance executive and member of St. Helens in London, says, gosh, this guy that I'm trying to reach is so smart. John will get him. So I'll, I know John Lennox will come and meet with him. And so John said, sure, I'll meet with your friend. So he met with his friend. His real smart friend started asking John questions, and they met for about a month every week. And the guy asked questions. John responded, asked questions. John responded. And after four weeks, John was getting a little sick of this old man. You know, this is a waste of my time. The guy's not open, but he wants to meet with me. So he told Richard, Richard, next week, just bring your Bible. So they brought their Bibles, and they opened up to John chapter 1, which we just heard read. And the conversation changed from questions to the revelation of God. And after about nine months later, the guy gave his life to Christ just by bringing the Bible. So Richard says, well, this is brilliant. I don't have to memorize an outline. All I got to do is turn pages, right? And so... He came up with this idea of reading the Bible in episodes. You know, Kim and I just binged All Creatures Great and Small on PBS. Binged them all. They were great. We watched TV in episodes, right? Now we're watching The Night Manager, 2016. Phenomenal. John Lacare moment. All right, we're watching it in, in, in episodes. Well, this is how we read the Bible with this. And there's 
natural off points that they want to get out. We're respecting people where they are. And so if you gave them this, we're going to read the Bible together here. It's intimidating, right? No. You have a copy of sharing the word one-to-one, and they have a copy of sharing the one-to-one. I got nine copies back there on the coffee table, you know. Please consider giving them, but if you want to take them, take them. You need two. You need one for yourself and one for your friend, all right? And what you'll notice about it is this is just book one. There's 11 books total, covering 21 chapters. And what they are is just simple. On one page is the Bible reading, and the other page is commentary written by William Taylor, who's the rector of St. Helens. Good friend of ours. He's awesome. And, and the commentary is biblically sound and compelling. And so you're with a friend, and you're, you meet with them over coffee. You know, you're at Starbucks or wherever your favorite coffee place is. And you hand them this, and they read. And the colors, Richard told us last fall, are popular colors today. And it's true. You go to the houses on Walker as you go into Avon Lake. On the right as you're going into Bay, you notice all the houses are gray or slate blue, or slate gray or blue, all right? You know, they're all the same, all of them, you know? And I'm like, okay, I guess that works. It's, it's pleasing to the eye, they say. You say so? All right? And so you meet with your friend, and you're just going to journey through John's gospel. So you've invited them for one meeting, that's it. Right? And they're willing to meet with you. So you're going to read these first 18 verses together. And so you read the section of the commentary, and they read the word. And so it's just very, very simple, my friends. You say, first, on page 7, you'll notice, in this episode, John's eyewitness account starts with an overview. You might find this as a surprising start. We don't begin with a baby Jesus and his famous birth. There's no stable, no angels. No Bethlehem, but rather some massive claims. So don't be surprised if it all takes some unpacking. And then you have your friend read the Bible out loud. Something happens when the Bible is read out loud. Awesome. Mysterious. So they read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then on the facing page, you read William Taylor's notes. Because think about what we just read. This is about the God who made everything. John introduces us to the Word. Twice he says the Word was there in the beginning. So the Word existed before time before creation, before the beginning. In short, the Word is eternal. But who or what is the Word? Verse 1, the Word is God. Verse 2, the Word is a person. He was with God in the beginning. And verse 3, the Word who is God and a person made absolutely everything, no exception. Already we're being introduced to the creator. Incredible. 
let the Lord do his work. You're just turning the pages. You haven't learned, you haven't, you haven't memorized anything. You, you haven't memorized evangelism explosion outline. You don't have to. All you're doing is turning the page and letting the Lord do his work. So you get to the end of the episode, and there's a summary. And so, again, have them read the summary, because it's, it's slate gray. And then you ask the question, how does this introduction compare with what you had thought of Jesus Christ? And listen to their answers. What do they think? Well, then you turn the page, and then you take one more chance, and you read the whole passage one more time together. If they're a good reader, let them read it all. If they're a person that's hesitant to read for whatever reason, say, well, I'll start off. I'll read the odd verses. You read the evens. Most people do that. Uh, some people are so shy, they, they'd rather not read it, and so you read it all. The whole point is you get to the end of rereading it, and then you say, what comes next? Well, we'll see John the Baptist, the warm-up act, before Jesus comes on to the scene. You see, my friends, you don't have to be Billy Graham. You're doing the work of evangelism just by reading the Bible. And so you arrive at the end, and you just ask them two questions, and they're listed there at the bottom of your bulletin. What would you think? Do you want to meet again? No. Okay. The Lord's in that work. Or maybe the Lord's at work. We just can't see it. You don't know what the Lord's doing. Just respect that. Do you want to meet again? Yeah, I really like that. 90% of the people who finish this first session go on to, con to continue. And 90% of the people who continue come to faith in Jesus Christ. At least in London. Okay? Let's see what happens in America. My friends, it's important for us to recognize that all of us have people around us who lack purpose, freedom, and assurance that we already have in Christ. Because this is the message of epiphany, of Christmas that we've just walked out of. He's the word made flesh, full of grace and truth. And he's dwelt among us. <laughs> the ideal has become real in Jesus Christ. Some of you may remember, I remember sitting in my dad's workshop. This is what made me think of this illustration. Uh, my dad loved old musicals. And we had an old record player down in the workshop. And so he would play a record while we were piddling around down there on his workbench. And I distinctly remember one time we were working and he was listening to Don Quixote, Man of La Mancha, the musical. And he's singing. My dad couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but it was hilarious just to listen to him sing along with Don Quixote. But the great musical is about a crazy guy who goes out, thinks himself as a knight, and attacks windmills with his sidekick, Sancho Panza. And he comes to this inn, and at the inn, there's a waitress who's a prostitute. And the whole town knows her as Aldonza, the whore. But Don Quixote sees this, and he bows to her. Because he 
she's not a prostitute. She's the lady Dulce Mola. And they all look at her and go, huh? And he starts to sing to her and woo her and respect her and honor her. You know the song, right? Okay? It's, it's phenomenal. I have dreamed thee too long, never seen thee nor touched thee, but known thee with all of my heart. Half a prayer, half a song. Thou has always been with me, though we have been always apart. Dulcinea, Dulcinea. Women, don't you want your husband singing to you like that? You love this stuff. Here's the kicker. You know, I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea. And thy name is like a prayer an angel whispers. Dulcinea, Dulcinea. It's beautiful. And she's changed. Someone's, my, my world is an absolute mess. But she changes. I, she's bemused at first and she gets a little mad because all the guys in the tavern are like, Dulcinea, you know, cracking up at her. And she gets mad with that. But the reality is this guy treats her for who she ought to be, a princess. At one point he says, the maddest of all is to see the world only as it is, not as it should be. Those of you who were with us Christmas Eve, remember the ideal and the real. Okay? Aldonza's living in the real. We live in reality here. Right? But Don Quixote decides to see her in the ideal for who she really should be. A princess. A lady treated with honor and respect. Don Quixote says, I'm not going to live on the basis of the real, but on the basis of the ideal, which some people thought he was crazy. But when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, right? When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you don't have to choose between the ideal and the real. Because God has been revealed, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Means... The ideal smashed a hole through the concrete slab and entered into the real. When you believe in God through Jesus Christ, the ideal comes into your life. Even when you feel like Aldonza. But you'll never measure up. You'll never be the Christian you ought to be. God treats you like royalty because in Jesus Christ, while a sinner, you are a king. You are a queen in him. Good news. He can change you into his likeness. That's what being a Christian means. That's what epiphany season means. He's been revealed. Have you noticed the collect we've been praying this season? The first three weeks were, Lord, send us out. Let's shine with the light of Christ been revealed. We get to this week, say, we're surrounded by so many grave dangers. You see what they're doing? They recognize as we walk this Christian life, we're in the real world. And at times it's hard. But there's an ideal. The kingdom of heaven has come. We can live into the reality of it. We 
because the ideal has smashed a hole and has become real and is transforming him, us, into his likeness. Therefore, don't look at anything about your life and say that will never change. Epiphany means anything can change. Anyone can place their trust in him. You can place your trust in him. You can follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it means we can share this good news with a friend just by being a page turner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season, which means inexhaustible reality for us. And we thank you that we've had the chance to learn how we can share this good news just by being a page turner. We pray you would help us obey and trust and love the one who became vulnerable for us. Change our lives with the theology of epiphany and with the truths of epiphany that you have come for us. And help us, Holy Spirit, not just to settle for warm, fuzzy feelings and inspiration, but make us more like your son so that we might share it with others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.